We're back. WRSU Thursday crew here on 88.7 WRSU FM New Brunswick. Eddie Kalegi with Dylan Allen, Christian Vasquez, Arnav Sarkar, and uh, got a lot to get to here in hour two, but let's turn it to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, and we've talked about it. They have had a tremendous, tremendous spring season all around, and it's really paying off with some national tournament berths for both men's and women's lacks. Uh, neither team was able to grab the Big Ten championship. However, as we know, that is a very difficult feat to accomplish in the Big Ten Conference, especially when you have the Maryland Terrapins playing lacrosse in the conference, and they have been easily the best team, uh, arguably, in the country. That being said, both teams set to go. Women's Lacks starts their tournament on Friday against St. Joe's. That's being played at Stony Brook. And then uh, Rutgers Men's Lacks playing at Yursac Field because of commencement, which is interesting. And uh, that should be a really fun atmosphere, trying to pack uh, Yursac Field uh, for a Sunday late afternoon contest with the Harvard Crimson and uh, just the continued momentum that we've seen from Rutgers Athletics all year long as they continue to show why they belong in the Big Ten Conference and both lacrosse teams. I mean, I've seen them both extensively. First with the men, the fact that the transfers have stepped up the way that they have, Mitch Bartolo, Ronan Jacoby. This is a team that lost arguably their best player before the season even started, and David Sprock needed to find out where they'd get the scoring from. Those guys, plus you had veterans on the roster like Shane Knobloch and Ross Scott, who have stepped up in big ways. This team has been very resilient. They've come back from deficits multiple times before. And they're really poised, and despite the loss to Maryland, uh, they've been pretty much blemish-free the whole rest of the season. As for women's lacrosse, T.T. Naslonski, the team really rides and dies with her. And they played Maryland tough in the first half, but then a disastrous second half. Also, Steph Kelly was injured in that game, so we don't know about her health for Friday, which could be concerning, but obviously T.T. Naslonski and Cassidy Spillis, two great scorers. And these two teams, Brian Brecht, uh, Melissa Lehman, two excellent coaches that get the best out of their squads. And for Rutgers, might not be Big Ten champions, but are poised for deep runs in the national tournament nonetheless in both men's and women's lacrosse. Yeah, and for the women's team going into that game against Maryland, first of all, they beat number two Northwestern, which was a big win in of itself. 13-5, to they win that game at Yersac. Uh, big game for them, but then they go to face Maryland, and let's, let's face it, Maryland on both sides, men and women, they're just powerhouse for lacrosse. And they were tied at halftime at 7-all. Mm-hmm. That third quarter is really where it just crumbled. Yeah. They, they, Maryland had eight goals, Rutgers none. That is where the cookie crumbled. And I think if Rutgers, the women's lacrosse team, can just not have any quarters where it is just so lopsided, they should have some success in the tournament. For the men's, it's kind of, I don't know. It, it, for the men's, I it, we talked about this last week uh, a little bit with Doug, who unfortunately couldn't be here. But with the men's team, it's different because... They started off so well, and then all of a sudden, when they played Maryland, it's just like they hit a brick wall. They lost 17-9 to in the regular season, right? And then, ever since that game, it just, they haven't, I mean, they've won games, don't get me wrong, but they just haven't looked themselves. One, one goal win against Michigan, one goal win against Penn State, who was not good at all, didn't, I think only had one win in Big Ten play going mm. into that game, and then they go out, play Ohio State in the first round or their first matchup in the Big Ten tournament, have to come back from down 8-5. to five. They win that 12-10. Uh, and then against Maryland again, they lose by 10 goals. But uh, my point is, against Harvard, they should win. 
Rutgers is a much better team. But since that first Maryland loss back in April 10th, they have been winning games, but they have been close, and Rutgers has had to claw back in some of them. They've also had to uh, almost, they have almost given up leads in the games. I think Penn State, they had a five or four or five goal lead mm-hmm. in the last couple of minutes, and they almost lost it. They had to go to overtime, had to force overtime, and then win it in overtime. So that's a little troubling for the men's team. I think they'll take care of business at Harvard, uh, against Harvard. It's here, home field advantage. Uh, I think they win the game, but with the men's, it's kind of different than the women's. The women's have been playing a lot better down the stretch. The men's have kind of, although they've been wins, they've been, I would think, too close for their liking. Yeah, that's fair. The women's team, I, I, it's it's really kind of hard to analyze them because that quarter and really that whole second half against Maryland, that team was a complete shell of themselves. And what we had seen them do two days prior against Northwestern and just dominate them, win by eight goals, a team that they gave up 21 to just a few weeks prior in Evanston. Now, something that should be pointed out that uh, Gideon mentioned on the broadcast, which was a great point, Northwestern was, it was really bad weather here on Friday. We all know when we played in the WRSU Targum game, it wasn't the best conditions getting over to Werblin. Um, That being said, you know, Northwestern plays their lacrosse indoors. They're one of the only teams that plays indoor mm. lax. It's them and Syracuse, I think, at the Carrier Dome. That's about it. And maybe not as accustomed to those conditions, and Rutgers was kind of able to use that to their advantage. It was nice weather against Maryland. Maryland also plays outside. I mean, the climates in Maryland and New Jersey are not that different from each other, and the Terrapins were kind of in their zone, and despite Rutgers kind of giving them a bit of a test in the first half and getting it even at halftime... We saw really a turn. Rutgers went up 5-3 in that game, I believe. It was five minutes into the second quarter, and then they did not score again for 31 minutes of game time until Maslonski had a goal with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. In the Maryland game? Yes. Okay, yeah. That cannot happen. That can't happen. <clears throat> I mean, again, it was tied at halftime at 7, and then all of a sudden it's 14-7, to or 17-7, uh, uh, sorry. And you you allow a ten nothing run like that over the span of two quarters, to, uh, one and a half quarters, and then you only you're only able to get one more. <clears throat> it's just not enough. And I understand Maryland is a big powerhouse team, but I mean if you're the women's lacrosse team and you want to make a, a serious run at this, you got to beat St. Joe's. And I would imagine you, you you may get paired up with a team like Maryland or or Northwestern or a team that good. And, you know, you might have a – that's a good point with the rain because Northwestern playing indoors, they probably did not prepare for that. Nor can you – I mean, there's only so much you can do with making the conditions wet to practice in because mm-hmm. you, you physically cannot make it rain. You have to maybe, you know, get the ball a little wet or something. But, again, when you have the ball in, in the bat in, – in, like, their sticks or whatever, it's a little different than physically holding, like, a football trying to throw it. Yeah. So it's a little hard to prepare for something like that in Northwestern again playing indoors. That's something that that could have thrown them off their game. And for Rutgers, hey, listen, all the credit to them. They're, they're prepared for that. They knew it was coming, and they handled that game fairly well. Again, 21 goals they gave up, only five this time against Northwestern, but they've struggled against Maryland. Same with the men's team. I think the men's team could have a real good shot at making the Final Four. I really do. I think they're that good of a team. They have won, and again, I, my point before was that they've won these games down the stretch too close for comfort. But to their credit, they in games where they've had the lead and they've given it up, they've been able to come back, take care of business. In games where they're down, 
they're able to come back, take care of business. So, to their credit, they're winning these games, even if it's not pretty, they're wins. And if you're a fan of Rutgers lacrosse, you're a player of Rutgers lacrosse, Brian Brack, the coach, you just need a W in the column, you'll take it no matter which way you get it, and you'll go from there. As long as you just keep getting wins, you don't you don't really care how you get them. So I think Rutgers men's lacrosse has a really good chance at making a deep run in this tournament for sure. Harvard should be, I'm not going to say an easy opponent, they're top 15 team, but I think Rutgers being top five all year, bouncing around four, three in that range. There's a reason Rutgers There's is a reason though. they're up there. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll take care of business at your sack field during commencement week and all that. So I, I think that's... I think they'll take care of business. Yeah, the Rutgers men's lacrosse team got a pretty favorable draw. Women's team, not as much. The men overall have had a better season than the women's, but as Dylan has said, the women's team, they've played consistently. I think they've been consistently better. The men's team might have the better record, but the women's team has looked better for longer spans of time this season in games. The thing is with them, though, they have had games where it's not just that they play poorly it's like when they do it kind of crashes and burns i've seen two prime examples of this not just maryland but arizona state who was a borderline top 25 team uh the women's team had a four goal lead going into the fourth quarter let it slip away and lost that game in overtime arizona state had never beaten a big 10 opponent before or a ranked opponent and they did accomplish both of those feats in one fell swoop against rutgers so that's the that and the second half rutgers team against maryland if that shows up Rutgers women's lacrosse could be in a lot of trouble, but if the team that got them there does, I think they'll be fine. But if Steph Kelly is injured, that is a concern because she is the primary distributor for the team. But Christian, you know, men's lacrosse always plays at SHI Stadium, but now going to be playing at your SAC field. So how do you think kind of playing in those conditions at your sack rather than on the turf at SHI will change and maybe with the environment as well because I remember me and you called a women's soccer playoff game there and it gets loud and very uh, emphatic at your sack field for home playoff action for any Rutgers sport and you could expect men's lacrosse to be the same oh for sure just that change of the scenery for them especially like you said at your there's the bleachers there. People are just stomping. You can hear people much better than you would in, say, the stadium setting. I think that's going to make a big difference for the the teams. You know, the other team that has – they don't care. But for Rutgers, I feel like they could <laughs> – it doesn't really matter to them too much, but it's going to be a whole different feel, and hopefully it doesn't really affect them too much. Obviously, here being in a different place and playing on a different field, Yurkak does sometimes – <laughs> have a little bit questionable turf. Mm-hmm. The soccer players have had so, said so too, especially even if there's inclement weather before that, there's always questionable uh, ways to play at your CAC. So I think it, it might make a difference at that point. So let's shift gears to baseball. Now they're not as far along in their season, still have a little bit more regular season play. And it starts with a three game series this weekend with Bowling Green. It's their one series uh, in the second half of the season that is not against a Big Ten opponent. So definitely seems like some winnable competition. They did get back in stride, had a couple of impressive games last weekend. Uh, the offense was able to step up in a big way on multiple occasions, especially back on Monday. And now playing against a Bowling Green team, 
team that Rutgers is certainly favored against. You know, Nick Samillo is back, and we've seen the offense just playing really well. They're number one in batting. They're second in the conference in ERA, only behind Iowa. They lead the Big Ten in fielding percentage. We've talked about how this team has been able to do it from all ends. But, uh, you know, this series, despite not really playing that much of a role in where Rutgers ends up in the Big Ten standings. Still very crucial for them to get some confidence back on their side and continue to impress because this is a Rutgers team. It's going to be difficult to win the Big Ten tournament. Uh, Obviously, they're one of the favorites, but if they can't, Big Ten is going to try to have to get multiple teams into the College World Series uh, via at-large bids, and unfortunately... I feel like, especially in baseball, there's a little bit of an anti-Northeast bias when, you know, most of the success we've seen in college baseball in recent years has been from the SEC and the ACC, that there's a bit of a hesitation to get teams from the Big Ten, multiple teams into the tournament just because of the history. And we've seen Rutgers as well struggle earlier in the season against opponents that may be from smaller conferences but are from southern or midwestern places, most notably when they dropped, I think it was three or four games against Omaha uh, back in March uh, during spring break. And, you know, that's that's something that Rutgers kind of hurts them on their resume. The Princeton loss wasn't ideal either, but... Bowling Green, this is a good opportunity this weekend to just get some wins, get in the win column, get some confidence on their side, get their bats feeling good like they were when they were playing those Tuesday games. It seemed like every Tuesday with Doug Willig, Rutgers would win 19-1, to <laughs> and then they'd be feeling good for a weekend series. They haven't had that on their schedule in a couple of weeks, but this is now a sustained three-game series that could set them up well if they play it right for the stretch run. Yeah, and this could be the part of the season where Rutgers can get to that 40 win mark. They're currently at 37 and 12. Mm -hmm. They could get to that 40 win mark if they beat Bowling Green in all three of these games before they have to travel to Ann Arbor. And and Michigan's always a good team, always a good program. I remember last year, I think we either won two out of three or swept them away, and they were ranked. Um, So I remember that being a a, a big deal for this program. But this, this program has taken a major leap from that team from last year. This is, a, this is a big series because you're coming off a series against Maryland where crappy weather all last weekend. You had to play a doubleheader on Mother's Day and then a game on Monday. Uh, they, they lost two out of three to Maryland. It was very high scoring. Rutgers gave up 16 runs in the first game, seven in the second game, and then nine in the last game. Uh, Rutgers, in the game that they won, they won 18-7. to seven. But Bowling Green is a is like something you'd see on on a football schedule week one or two. Mm-hmm. It's a game that's scheduled because they're pretty much free wins, and it's good notoriety for Bowling Green to travel to Baton Field and play a Big Ten team. Yeah. That's what the purpose is. So Rutgers has to take care of business here. Now, if they lose one of the games to Bowling Green, will it really affect their stock? I don't believe so. But I think being able to sweep Maryland uh, Bowling Green, coming off a tough three-game set against Maryland – and then having that another gimme game against St. Joseph's on the on the Tuesday, the seventeenth at Baton as well. If you could go into into Michigan being four and zero in your last four games, that's all the confidence you need before you know you head to your fi- your final series of the season against Michigan, right? I think it's all confidence. I think if that's what they that's what they do, they get themselves some more confidence. I think they're in good shape. And again, Bowling Green is not a team that should scare you if you're Rutgers. Uh, it's three games set, but if you're out there listening, game on Friday and two games on Saturday. There's no Sunday game. 
And the Saturday games are on senior day, so it's another big thing for Rutgers to be playing for final home game of the... Well, you see, this is what's interesting. It says senior day, but isn't normally senior day the the last home game of the year? Yeah. Or is it different for... Because they play St. Joe's, St. Joseph's on Tuesday, the 17th at Baton. That's their true last home game. I think what they're doing, which actually makes a lot of sense, is to make sure they get senior day in because you know the Bowling Green games are going to be played, whereas if there was really bad weather that happened on a Tuesday, that St. Joe's game might not necessarily get made mm-hmm. up. So I think they want to make sure Good they point. get senior day in. Because they always have that Sunday to make up that Bowling Green yeah. game. They mm-hmm. left that open mm-hmm. for themselves. Okay, so senior day, all the more to play for. I think Rutgers... Out of the next four games, I think at the very worst they go they go two and two. I think they go four and zero at the very best. A three and one, I would not be disappointed. Again, you're hitting that forty win mark before you go to Ann Arbor, and then I would hope if you're Rutgers, you can win two out of three in Michigan before the Big Ten tournament, where it really begins, where you know people that vote you into the NCAA tournament really start to look at your resume and start to see if you can pick up wins in the tournament. So this is a big week or so and a half for this team they really have to buckle down and get some wins together and be able to and just make sure that they're on the right side of the momentum swing heading into Big Ten play and possibly NCAA tournament play. Yeah for sure and you know this is also a team that has had some struggles in Big Ten play and the tournament is going to be a chance for them if they match up with teams that they've struggled against like for example maybe a Penn State or an Iowa that they could kind of right those wrongs and get back in the committee's favor and show that they might they are the better team in those matchups so uh, definitely going to be a lot to play for for the Scarlet Knights going forwards. We'll take a quick break and come back. Uh, Some interesting news with Jerry Judy to get to, plus uh, Major League Baseball, Mets, Yankees, two best teams. Who's the better team? We'll debate. Eddie Kalegi, Dylan Allen here with Christian Vasquez and Arnav Sarkar on the WRSU Thursday crew. Back here on the WRSU Thursday crew, Eddie Kalegi here with Dylan Allen, Christian Vasquez, Arnav Sarkar. Uh, technically one of the first days of the WRSU summer crew. I saw uh, Rutgers bus going by and it now says summer one on it. <laughs> so we are officially in the summer season, which for me as a freshman is kind of weird because I was used to school ending June 15th and it is <laughs> May 12th and it's summertime, baby. Yes, sir. Uh, but that also means the football season is not too far away and Dylan, actually some Interesting news that might be troublesome for the Denver Broncos with Jerry Judy. Yeah, I I don't know if there's too much information about why he was arrested. I believe the initial reports were just saying that he was arrested and that there was no further news. I there might be some some more news out oh, about there is. that. Is there? Okay, yes. so what is it? As of Adam Schefter two hours ago, Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy was arrested. Uh, on, on charges of second-degree criminal tampering with a domestic violence enhancer. I really don't know what, what does that, that means. Mean? I don't know what that means either. And that he's no being idea. held without bond. So, I don't know what that means. No, I I'm do. not a legal expert. Yeah, I, no, I, I don't think any of means. us here are legal experts, so... It's a misdemeanor, so I don't... Again, I don't really know what that means, um, but uh, if we're just talking strictly how this affects yeah. on the field, yeah. on the gridiron, yeah. this sucks if yeah. you're Bron- if you're Denver Broncos because you don't know how serious this is going to be. But with Russell Wilson, if you're like a Denver Broncos fan, you have to imagine as soon as you got Russell Wilson, you are like just so hyped up that this team is going to get you wins. You're going to go back to the playoffs. You're going to be competing with some of the best of the best in your, within your division, which is also crazy how mm-hmm. good that division got over the offseason. Um, but 
and now you're number one receiver on the team, one of your former first-round pick arrested, and his future is to be determined on how long he may be arrested for, whatever the case is. But listen, it. I don't know if it'll be super serious. I, again, I don't know the severity of it, but strictly as a football, he's a great player. And for a guy like Russell Wilson to have him at, at hit, you know, just have him to throw to, that is huge against teams like the Raiders, the Chiefs, the Chargers within the division. You have to be able to guard Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler also on that team. There's just a lot of moving parts on that offense. Um, that now, if you take him out of the equation, now if you're some of those defenses, you can then choose to say, hey, you know, maybe we'll double team one of these guys, right? And just make the only option, you know, some random tight end. or you know. So it's it's very tough to game plan now if you're Denver because you're, you were so, you were banking on Jerry Judy just possibly maybe forcing a double team, allowing some of the other guys to get open. And now you're not going to have that at your discretion at least so far as of right now if the season were to start right now but uh it's gonna it, it, listen Russell Wilson has proven for a lot of his career Eddie that he can play without talent on the team mm-hmm. like he will give you consistent numbers I know he's had DK Metcalf and, and Lockett the past couple of years yeah but he's had one of the bottom worst offensive lines for quite some time and even with just a couple of nice receivers to throw to, he's able to buy time, run out of the pocket, find ways to pick up the chains, and I think that's what you're going to get in Denver. So even without Jerry Judy on the field, as big of a miss that might be if he's not there, Russell Wilson is that good of a player where he can extend plays and figure out what to do on the run. It's kind of like an Aaron Rodgers. He kind of makes a name for people that didn't really have a name coming into the league, and they kind of just they're that good at throwing the ball. They can really just throw it to whoever. As long as they can catch the ball, they're probably going to succeed. But it's a big hit for them, considering their their receivers are Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, and then after that it gets very very hairy. So it's you know it's kind of tough there. It might turn into a situation where they rely on their defense a lot more than you expected uh, if this if this becomes an ongoing issue. Well, and that's the problem with the lack of receivers, and this is a perfect opportunity to bring Christian in because he knows the Green Bay Packers quite well, and that's a, that's a history with that team. Uh, but now, you know, in such a stacked AFC West, Christian, if Jerry Judy is absent for at least part of the season, you know the weapons that Patrick Mahomes has, Justin Herbert and Derek Carr, bringing in Devontae Adams to the Raiders. We know what the Chargers have with Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. Even no more Tyreek Hill, the Chiefs should be just fine with Nicole Hardman, Travis Kelsey, and others. Juju Smith-Schuster will probably be doing lots of TikTok dances with uh, <laughs> Jackson Mahomes this season, but he'll also probably be a pretty productive slot receiver as well. How do you feel right now about the Broncos if they're without Jerry Judy about Russell Wilson's ability to kind of carry this team? Yeah, I feel like, yeah, like you said, uh, same thing with him and Aaron Rodgers. They make do with what they have, and Rodgers will have to do that this year. But Russell, he'll do that same thing. Obviously, it's going to be a big downgrade, and for them to compete against those teams with such heavy firepower, even like it's they're basically uh same team. Mahomes is going to. They're going to ball out no matter what he finds. He'll find a way, and they're going to put up points, and those divisional games will be crazy in that division. So that brings them down a notch for sure, especially on offense. Their defense will have to hold them 
up in a lot of those games if he's down a receiver and they can't find a solid replacement for it. But, you know, we'll see how that process goes. I, I was reading that he could get a jail sentence or a fine if found guilty. But right now it's uh, that he's cooperating with the situation. I also forgot to mention Cortland Sutton on the roster. I feel for some reason I just didn't see the third wide receiver column on the depth chart here. Cortland Sutton's a very good receiver. He's had some injury issues, but he may be the number one receiver on that team if you put Judy in a slot kind of position, kind of like what the Chargers do with Keenan Allen. I think that's how you could use Judy. Um, But you'll have Sutton coming back, Tim Patrick as well. K.J. Hamler will probably take over that slot position. And to me, with a guy like Russell Wilson, I still think that's enough to make do with for the time being. If it becomes a situation where Jerry Judy is out, let's say this gets him out for maybe half the season, that might be an issue because of how good their division is. Like, if their division was the NFC East, like a mediocre division, I would say, you know what, it, it sucks he's not able to play, but they, their divisional opponents are just horrible. In this scenario, the Chiefs, Chargers, Raiders, Broncos, I all give them a very legitimate chance to win their division. Maybe not so much the Raiders, but the Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos, I probably give them each a 33% chance to win that division because they're just so talented from top to bottom roster-wise. And they, it's crazy to think about. They have three of the top, I would say, six or seven quarterbacks in the NFL in just one division. So not having a, a threat like Jerry Judy, who was, I, I believe, the best receiver in that draft class, mm-hmm. it's going to be a big miss for them. Especially acquiring Russell Wilson, I'm sure that's what they they were like. Oh, we have we have all the pieces. We just need the guy to be able to get it to him. And now to not be able to have one of those pieces, it's going to stink for a little while. Hopefully, if you're a Bronco fan, and if you're Jerry Judy, this is nothing too serious. And again, it's a domestic issue, so I don't know if he physically did anything. Again, I'm not 100 percent sure because it was something about tampering with something. It doesn't say that he openly was hitting somebody or. I don't know what's going yeah. on. Yeah, but we're just from what I read, it was a uh, just that they had uh, him and his. I guess his significant other had some sort of dispute. Didn't mention anything about any you know physical violence, but they were. She was trying to leave to some other state with their son, and he took like some legal documents and hit him in his car, and she couldn't find them. And then she took his phone <laughs> away and wouldn't give it back. And the enhancement to the domestic violence is because the kid was present in the uh, situation. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's an issue about the possession of their child. Okay, so I mean, listen, I'm not going to promote any of that, but I'm just saying, at least in his case, it's not beating up his wife or girlfriend, yeah. where we've seen a lot of NFL players do that, and yeah. it's just not a good ending for them. So again, we'll see how that goes, Eddie, but definitely going to stink for the Broncos because that was something that they looked at and said, if we can go out and acquire Russell Wilson, give up all this all this draft assets in the future. You know, this is a guy that we think can be a real superstar and to potentially not have him kind of stinks. And now if you're a fantasy owner, football fantasy owner in coming months, you got to have to maybe shift your view of where you draft a possible receiver late rounds or maybe in the early rounds. Because I'm sure Judy with the addition of Wilson was probably going to be a, a, a third. Like at least I would say he would fall to the third round, the lead. Like, he'd be somebody really up there just because they have Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. But So now you have to kind of change the view of that. Arnoff, I want to let you jump in as well. Uh, your opinions on the whole situation. 
Um, yeah, it's a little bit messy, but I, uh, I looked it up. I have some more information on the situation. So, um, yeah, well, there's a tweet by um, Kyle Clark, I guess a ger um, sports journalist. Um, he says, um, Jerry Judy admitted to investigators that he locked his child's mother's wallet and baby formula in his car because she took one of his phones per documents obtained by um, uh, Rydar Kev. She told investigators she just wanted to leave Judy. And then um, from CBS Denver, there was no physical contact between Mr. Judy and the female party. It solely involved property. So, yeah, it seems like it's like a property issue. Like, um, he locked the, f um, she took one of his phones and then he locked his, um, I guess his child, there's child stuff in the car. So that's where the problem I guess it um, was so mm -hmm. like yeah I guess it's not as serious like um, like Dylan said I don't want to like um, promote any of that either but I don't think it's going to be like like too big of a deal honestly yeah. for like on the field kind of stuff in September but. yeah yeah there's just a lot of gray area with it but fortunately I just remembered there is one other receiver that we can't forget about the greatest quarterback in the history of the Denver Broncos Kendall Hinton uh, <laughs> he's still on the roster you want to know who else is on there the best eagle receiver of all time Travis Fulgham no, nah, Jalen Rieger's the best receiver of all time for the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, also, I man. think it's ironic that on Kendall Hinton's uh, Wikipedia, when they list his NFL career stats, I don't know if this is somebody who trolled, they don't list anything else. They don't list his receiving stats. He has <laughs> touchdowns in regulation NFL games. They just have his passing stats that he was one for nine in that game in 2020. <laughs> they don't even list his stats from last year. He caught a touchdown and he had 60 yards against the Steelers. They don't even have that listed. They just had he's one for nine with 13 yards and two picks in that one game where he had to start at quarterback. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens now. Uh, obviously, as the details come out, it doesn't seem like this Judy situation may be as severe as some of the other things we've seen in the NFL before. But regardless, if he does miss any time, will be concerning for the Broncos, who are already playing sort of from behind in a very stacked AFC West, despite bringing in an elite quarterback, a nine-time Pro Bowler in Russell Wilson. But uh, coming up... We'll finish up here with uh, a little bit of talk about Major League Baseball. The Yankees and the Mets both playing really well. Mets won today. Yankees starting a series against the White Sox this weekend. Uh, who's the best team in New York? We'll discuss it. here on the WRSU Thursday crew. Now, let me just say, whoever came up with the musical selections for the different segments for the show when the crew first came around, I, I like it. Yeah. I, like the I like the music. And, uh, of course, Billy Joel means we get to rapid fire, and I wanted to talk some baseball with you, Dylan, specifically, because the Mets and Yankees are both playing very, very well. Now, before we debate that, I kind of want to let Arnov and Christian jump in because this is actually the first time in Major League Baseball history that both New York teams and both L.A. teams are leading their respective divisions. Mm. And it's kind they're kind of the four best teams right now in baseball, Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, Angels. My question, obviously, these teams have big budgets and... Mets and Angels specifically have not really lived up to their big city hype in recent years. So I'll go to Christian first. How good is this really for the sport of baseball now to see, you know, big market teams all succeeding at once? Oh, yeah. It's, it's great for those big market teams to succeed all at once, especially in New York. It, you feel the aura. Even people who don't watch baseball, which is usually myself, I've tuned into a couple games this year just to watch. You know, I mean, there's a 
all the fans you see Yankees Mets fans are just real fired up especially Mets fans who kind of I go through the motions every year of the team you know doing well in the beginning then something off to the end of the year so right now they have their success and it it seems really good and everyone's talking about baseball every night you see something different especially the people around here seeing more and more people post it and to get more eyes on each team is always great and the the Yankees need that money to pay Judge bring more success over there. Yeah, also got to see if you can extend Judge next year. That'll be that'll, oh, that, oh, we'll get it done. You'll get it done. All right. We'll uh, get it done. Arnav, how about you? What's your feelings on this Yankees Mets and in general the big market teams succeeding early on in the season? Oh, uh, I mean it's it's great. It's great for baseball. It's um I guess both the LA teams and New York teams um are four of the best teams. I think the Yankees and the Mets are like I think like the two of two of the mm-hmm. best teams and so not the the two best teams. The Yankees have a twenty two and eight record. Um both teams off to a strong start and I mean the Yankees have been pretty successful recently, although they haven't been able to get over the hump. I mean the Mets like not so much but they made some big off season like signings. Um a lot of my friends are actually like kind of more into baseball than me, although I'm I'm usually, like I guess a sports guy. But like um, yeah, a lot of my friends are like Mets fans. They're they're really excited. My friends who are Yankees fans are also excited. So I mean I'm excited. Like maybe we'll have like some good like we can have a Subway series or you can have a New York versus L A kind of thing, and for the World Series it should be interesting. I mean that's I, I wasn't around for it, but in 2000 I know that Subway Series World Series was electric when the Mets and Yankees got to face off. And also as much as it's it's been hyped up that the Yankees and Dodgers are both really good. Major leagues would love to get that and get the Yankees and Dodgers facing off in the World Series again. They've come close a few times, especially back in uh, 2017 with the cheating Astros. But, uh, you know, I, I think they'd like that. Uh, so, Arnav, so you're not a Yankee or a Met fan, per se. You're just you, – you have friends that are fans of both teams. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like, a, a Yankees fan, but I'm, like – I guess my main sports are like football and basketball, so I don't really watch like too much baseball. I've I've watched it like I I watch it from like time to time. I guess I actually like if I'm doing the show this summer, I kind of want to get myself more like interested in baseball because that's going to be one of the main things that's going to be going on, and all these other sports are going to like kind of not really be in the focus. But when if we're talking about either like records or football, basketball, like hockey, all that's going to be like kind of like in the background. But mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm like kind of like a Yankees fan because they, you know, they're historically the better team currently, oftentimes better team and local. And yeah, but yeah, some of my friends are Mets fans and like more hardcore Yankees fans. So this seems like a 3v1 here because I know you're a Yankee fan, Dylan. Yes. He seems to be a Yankee fan and I know Christian has Yankee hats, so I guess that qualifies him <laughs> as a Yankee yep, fan. Yep, they're all on the wall. All right, so I'm kind of a lone ranger in this argument. And I said very early on, and I remember I was on Thursday Crew And I said I did not want to get hyped up and I was going to control myself about the New York Mets because this team has proven to disappoint me on many occasions before. And I also told you this is a different team and that you shouldn't believe in that. Yes, and you were right. And I'm right. I I am am on your side and I am willing to believe. Yogi Berra said you got to (laughs) believe. You got to believe in this Mets team. I mean, this is very different. They have not lost a series yet this season. They have won every series so far. They just took two of three from Washington. The fact they were able to bounce back today. Last night was horrendous. Tyler McGill had his worst start in the major leagues. They gave up eight runs, got bounced in the second inning. I was all hyped up in my group chat. Tyler McGill's going tonight. What happens? He, he allows five runs in the first inning, three more in the second. Juan Soto is just teeing off off of him. Like, oh, well. And then I'm like, oh, boy. Ty 
Taiwan Walker starting today. And t- and if you want to know a person who gets teed off of Taiwan Walker since like June of last year has been that guy. What does he do today? Pitches to ground ball contact, seven scoreless innings. Mets get the win four to one. You're pretty happy because he's on your fantasy team. Yes. I'm pretty happy because it's the Mets. It's all about the Mets, baby. And this team. <laughs> it's all about the Mets. Yes. Got to get a hit a home run. Got to do it. And they, they, they've done it. They're, Mark Hanna had a home run, by the way, and they won the series over Washington. And I, I'm getting annoyed with people who are saying that the Mets are not doing this against tough competition. Mm. They just won a series against the Braves. They've won a series against the Cardinals. They've taken care of business against the Giants. They did well against the Diamondbacks, who are not all that bad this year. They've handled the Phillies. They've no-hit the Phillies. They've come back from down six runs in the ninth inning to win a game against the (laughs) Phillies. I mean, part of that's because the Phillies' bullpen is embarrassing. But you know what? (laughs) The idea still stands. This Mets team is different. This Mets team would not have had that six-run comeback against the Phillies or that four-run comeback against the Cardinals. Um they certainly wouldn't have gotten into a brawl with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Buck Showalter kind of inspiring them from the bench. Obviously, Yankee fans familiar with Buck's umpiring nearly three. I'm uh, not umpire, umpiring. Buck's coaching <laughs> three decades ago um, prior to Joe Torre coming in. But I think the hype is real. And I still think right now. If the Mets and the Yankees were to face off in a series, I'm not saying, you know, in a World Series, we don't know. I mean, things could change when the Subway Series comes. Despite the record and the Yankees looking slightly better, Dylan, I think the Mets are the better baseball team overall. Well, listen, in this particular scenario, listen, there's been years where it's Yankees run New York, Mets run New York. There's been stretches of that. This year, I don't think... I can't say Yankees run New York because the Mets are arguably the second or third best team in baseball. It depends how you view the Dodgers. But in my opinion, I think you saying the Mets are the best team in baseball, I'm okay with that because you're a Mets fan and they are a top three team in baseball. So you can have your your argument to try and make that they're the first, the best team in the league. Now, the Yankees, on the other hand, have the best Record best winning percentage in the league out of everyone. They have the second best run differential uh, at plus 52. The Mets are at plus 36. Uh, the Dodgers plus 78. That I mean, they're always doing that every year, I always feel like. But, you know, I, I feel like the Yankees and Mets are good at certain things, and they're maybe weaker at some of the things that the other team's better at. Like, for instance, the Yankees' rotation this year, coming into the year, has been, was very questionable. It's one of the things where I looked at and I was like, this is a year where the Yankees have to get a guy at the trade deadline to fill in a need at the starting pitcher spot. That might be the case because, again, we're only a month in. That might be a case two months down the road where maybe Tyone or somebody needs Tommy John or you know something goes bad and you need to fill in that spot. But as of right now, the Yankees rotation has been one of the more sure things of this team. I believe they have, ERA-wise, the best rotation in baseball and the bullpen's right behind them. They have barely surrendered any runs and they haven't really blown many leads there's only a couple that I can think of and I think the Yankees came the game against the Blue Jays which happened the other day Chad Green gave it up they were down five to three and then in the ninth inning Aaron Judge hits a three-run home run off Jordan Romano to win the game so there's a couple of games where I can say that the the bullpen kind of disappointed but for the most part it's it's been very very good all year um if I'm looking at their their numbers this year. I think the most runs the Yankees have given up all year, I believe, was um, 
believe it was eight. And out of all the teams they've played, it was against Baltimore. And the Yankees won 12 to eight. But every other, that's the, that's the most they've given up. And for the most part, I would say they average giving up two to three runs, maybe four every game. Their pitching has been phenomenal. The offense has been, I would say, a little bit of a slow start. But guys like Judge, who lead the league in homers, 22 RBIs, they're having phenomenal seasons thus far. Um, and I just think the, they had an 11-game win streak. Now, I know the Mets haven't lost a series yet. They're the only team that hasn't. But they also haven't swept a series yet. The Yankees won 11 games in a row. They swept three series in a row. Now, granted, it was Baltimore, Cleveland, and Kansas City. But if we're being fair, the Mets also did have a, I would say, quote-unquote, some easy stretches too. But again, they took care of business as well. But again, the Yankees, so it's like the Yankees have swept, they had three sweeps in a row. Mets haven't had one yet, but they haven't lost a series yet. And I believe the, the Blue Jays were on that list until recently the Yankees beat them two out of three, and then they beat them twice this past couple of games. And again, I, I said this a while ago. I'm not sure if you were on the crew. I don't think you were, Eddie, because I'm not on crew all, all that often with you. But we were running through the season outlook. Everybody was on the Blue Jays. Like, they're going to win the division, this and that. And again, it's only a month in. But I was sitting here, the Lone Ranger like you are, I was sitting here like saying, the additions they made are, n like, the compared to the departures, they don't live up to it. They lost Robbie Ray, who won a Cy Young out of nowhere, replace him with Yusei Kikuchi, who's mm -hmm. pitched well against the Yankees, I'll give him credit, but he is not Robbie Ray. He is like a four-and-a-half ERA type of guy right now. You replaced him with that. You get Jose Barrios for a full season, who's struggled all year so far. And on offense, you pretty much have the same roster, except you pretty much, tr like, not physically traded, but you exchanged Marcus Simeon's 45 home run season for Matt Chapman, who will hit you maybe 20-something home runs, and he'll give you very good defensive numbers. But again, you you kept the same lineup, took away 20-plus home runs, and very good pitching outings from a guy like Robbie Ray, and they didn't make the playoffs last year. This year, now they're third in the division. The Yankees, if I may say myself, have owned them this year. They have struggled against us. I believe we're like 6-3 and three or 7-4, and 7-3 and three against them this year. They have not played well against us, um, and, and I don't know. I just I think that, that I look at that and I give myself a pat in the back. I'm like, I was not worried about this team. Again, only a month in, but I'm not worried about them. Still not worried about them. They have a lot of holes in that team, even though they look so star-studded offensively. The Yankees pitching has shut them down as of late. Ever since that Garrett Cole outing where Vlad hit all those home runs, they have not been the same against the Blue Jays. The Yankees have just steamrolled them. But to get back to the Yankees and the Mets... With the Mets this year, I did tell you that they were going to be a very good team this year. I didn't I didn't just tell you. I told Brett, I told John, I told David. Everybody that was afraid of the Mets curse, where they start out really well in April and then it crumbles in June or, you know, later in the year. We kind of saw that last year. This team just, I physically, like, I looked at the roster. I was like, you physically cannot do that. The only way that was physically possible is if the Grom's out for half the year, Scherzer gets hurt, uh you know, Alonzo bats 180 like Joey Gallo or something. Like, there had to be so many things that just are so unlikely for that to happen. And the Mets this year, like, Lindor had a very crappy year last year. Did not play like himself. He's playing more up to himself this year. The guy that you paid that big contract for. So I, I think the Mets, although the schedule, to the people that say they haven't played anyone good, listen, they've taken care of business. 
if if that's your argument to say that they haven't played anyone good, at least they're not 15 and 15, right? They're 22 and and what 11, so that's second third best con- uh, record in the league. They've taken care of business, and again, they won three out of four against San Francisco, who had the most wins in baseball last year, right? They won three out of four there, taking care of business against Arizona, who's honestly surprising a lot of people this year. So again, I think yes. I think, yes, the Yankees' bias is going to say uh, the Yankees are the best team in baseball. Um, but I think between them, the Dodgers, Mets, you can make a case to say who's the best. But the Yankees have really impressed me with the pitching this year. I'm not as worried as I was, let's say, maybe early April or, like, end of March, heading into there, especially with the minimal spring training stuff and not being able to see what what guys are really doing well. You kind of just went in blind. You're like, okay, we'll hope this works. So I'm very excited, though. Very good seasons for both the teams thus far. Because I want a Subway Series, World Series. That's the dream, to see one of those. There was one back in 2000. None of us were alive to see that. Mm -hmm. And I would just love to see that again um, and be able to maybe even go to one. Tickets would be ridiculous. But that would just be fun to have, like, a crosstown rivalry. Yeah, for sure. And here's my feeling. The Yankees rotation has been really good. I still feel like there are more questions there going on for the rest of the season than there are with the Mets. Now, the Mets still do, Mets are pitching so well. They have such a great rotation ERA, and they're without their best starter, who has now just started throwing again, right. Jacob DeGrom. And DeGrom will be back eventually. And obviously, we don't know how many starts you're going to get, but Jacob DeGrom is going to pitch very well when he is out there. Tyler McGill, with the exception of yesterday, has been electric this season. Max Scherzer is Max Scherzer. Bassett has been a very underrated very pickup good. and has fit well. Carlos Carrasco has had a Cookie. career resurgence. Cookie, I mean, I've, last week there was a stat. He was the only pitcher in the majors who had pitched into the seventh inning multiple times in a game this season. Mm. Uh, pitched actually into the eighth inning. And he pitched well again last time. He had a rough start against St. Louis in a game. Aside from that, he's been really strong. And Taiwan Walker, really strong today. And... That's their five right now, and that's without Jacob DeGrom. Not to mention David Peterson and his two starts has actually looked pretty solid. Then, of course, the offense. Robinson Cano is gone. Thank you, Steve Cohen. This is beautiful. (laughs) All of a sudden, that trade is not looking that bad. And Jared Kalanick is not playing that well for Seattle. By the way, that's going to be a fun series this weekend because Kalanick is going to make his debut against the Mets. and. Mm. Uh, some really good pitching matchups in that series. Robbie Ray goes against Carlos Carrasco on Sunday. Um, Logan Gilbert, who's been having a great year, pitches, I think, tomorrow. And then on Saturday, um, I, I think it's George Kirby, who just got called up by Seattle. He goes on Saturday against Bassett. Yep. Scherzer goes Friday. So that's actually going to be a really fun series with the pitching matchups. But Your the- three best pitchers. Oh, well. You could argue McGill in there, yeah. Too. I, Who also hit my? I also see. So I also have him on my fantasy team. So I was playing basketball, and I checked the fantasy app, and I'm like, "Wait, why does Tyler McGill have an 81 ERA?" And in the first inning, I'm like, "What the hell happened?" And I check, and it's like five nothing, or whatever it was, five three. I was like, "Oh, great." So, but then Tywin Walker bails me out today. I'll take it. Jeff McNeil has been really mm-hmm. coming back to form from is what he, he was in 2019 and 2020. Yeah. Yeah, he's hitting 330 right now. Dom Smith has had a good year, and now the Cano's gone. Dom Smith can actually play, which is good. Um, all three offensive signings, Kana Marte and Escobar, have done their job. 
James McCann, I, I know he's not a great catcher, but <laughs> you know what? He's he's played well defensively. He's had a couple of clutch hits this season. Nito's done the job, and the Mets' best prospect is a catcher. Alvarez is going to be up probably maybe end of this year, if not next year. He'll be the catcher of the future. It's just filler for right now. And then, of course, in the bullpen, you have the greatest pitcher of all time. <laughs> Edwin Diaz, of course, coming out of the pen and was That's part great. of the no-hitter. Uh, Joel Lee Rodriguez hasn't been terrible. Chasen Shreve has been really good for the Mets. You guys have Shreve? Yeah, he has an ERA of like 1.3. He's doing as well as Aaron Loop did for us last year. Do you know, do you remember he used to be a Yankee? Yes, I do. We traded him to the Cardinals for Luke Voigt. He was a part of that trade. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's found his way back to me. That's funny. I didn't even know he was a Met. Yeah, Good no, for him. He's been our most consistent left-handed reliever, which was really frustrating because the Mets did not keep Aaron Loop. Loop followed Syndergaard over to the Angels. And by the way, okay, now i got to turn to Noah Syndergaard for a Uh-oh. minute. The whole thing. I'll back you up with with some Loop slander afterwards. The whole thing with the, start, with the uh, no-hitter. Congrats to Reed Detmers, but then Noah Syndergaard having to go on Twitter and Instagram and slamming the Mets, but this is what a real no-hitter looks like. I I mean, stop, please. First of all, it was a shock that Syndergaard did not come back, that the Angels actually offered him that contract. Credit to him, he's done well so far for the Angels, but I'm just saying at this point, when the Angels play at City Field, Noah Syndergaard, we talked about booze and stuff earlier. I don't think Syndergaard's going to get that much of applause, even though he was part of the 2015 <laughs> World Series team. And those comments did not help him. Now we're seeing a lot of ex-Mets pitchers who are kind of, you know, not not finding favor with the franchise. Ali Perez, Marcus Stroman, and uh, now now Noah Syndergaard. It, Aaron Loop yesterday got the loss against the Rays. He gave up two runs in the top of the 10th. Good. So if that makes you feel any better. Yeah, it does. It does. Oh, and Drew Smith, he has not given up a run yet this season. That, that, <laughs> he, I forgot which trade he came in, but he's act, one of the few good trades that the Wilpons made in, like, 2018. He came over. He had Tommy John surgery. All of a sudden, he's a lights-out reliever. Him and Jason Shreve have had <laughs> incredible years for the Mets, but... What about former Yankee great Adam Adam Adovino? How's he doing for you guys? Eh, well, he's, he's been up and down. <laughs> no, he's he been, sucked. He's been up and down. But, you know, uh, you're going to have a couple of bad relievers. It's the Mets. That's, that's how it goes. Yeah. With most teams, that's how it goes. Yeah, it's part of the tradition. But, you know, I, I like the way the Mets are setting up right now. Um, I think they're going to be set up well to finish out this season strong. And... I'm also curious what Steve Cohen does at the trade deadline. That's the one concern that I would say the Yankees have the advantage in is as crazy as it is and as competitive as the Yankees have been for a few years, you guys still have a pretty solid farm system that could be used for trades. Whereas with the Mets, there's still some limitations there. There's, There's only five top 100 prospects on the Mets. And beyond that, their farm system is sort of depleted because the Wilpons traded everybody away two or three years ago for random bullpen pieces and Rick Porcello and just disasters. <laughs> but I, I think the Yankees could be set up well, but I kind of want to finish with this. Obviously, two months away from the trade deadline, if there's something the Yankees need to bolster in that situation with the trade, what would it be? Honestly, I think it would need to be – I mean, if it, if it's – let's say at the trade deadline the team is playing as they are right now. I think you still trade for a for a really uh, for a, a starting pitcher because I think you could you could view Nestor Cortez Jr. 
as somebody who, although he's been pitching very, very well for the team, you could view him as a piece where you put him in the bullpen and be able to uh, maybe come in in relief for three, four, five innings in a game and then have somebody else start. Or you could just, I mean, listen, I, I think by that time, a guy like Tyone or Montgomery, so I, there's going to be some kind of injury or somebody's going to kind of fall off a little bit. You might have to make a trade there. I would say either our starting pitcher or possibly a another bat in the offense because the offense this year, although they, it, the Yankees have won a lot of games, it's been a little little lackluster for my liking. Like They're 10th in runs this year, 13th in batting average, 9th in on-base percentage. I mean, those are fairly decent numbers, but... You know, when it comes to the playoffs, when you're only scoring two, three, four runs against teams like Toronto, yeah, I'd like to have a little bit more confidence that they can put up more runs. You know, it's not that I don't think they can. It's at this moment in time, right now, I think that's they need one more bat. Maybe you go out and get yourself a guy who hits well with guys on base, kind of like a DJ LeMayhew, somebody who can cash in runs for you because you have enough power bats in the lineup. So maybe if that presents itself that's somewhere you go I think you either go there or the rotation well we'll leave it there obviously both New York teams doing great so far through the first six weeks of this Major League Baseball season it'll be fun to see how it all develops uh thank you to Christian Vasquez for joining us via Zoom Arnav Sarkar shadowing with us as well but that'll wrap up the Thursday edition of the WRSU crew 